Hey, it's Mark. The last few years have seen a lot more attention around the need to boost participation in clinical research. As many as 86% of studies fail to recruit enough participants, and 30% of participants drop out after joining. People of color have long been underrepresented in scientific research. Enter Project Baseline, a well-publicized effort by Google's sister company Verily to digitally connect volunteers with clinical studies. This year, amidst a wider plan that included significantly honing its strategic focus and cutting 15% of staff, Verily exited a thicket of high-profile medical device projects in favor of programs that support personalized care and that connect patients to clinical research. In the wake of that news, Verily appears to be doubling down on its recruitment engagement services, which it offers to pharmaceutical companies. MMM is privileged to have Alex Hart, Chief Marketing Officer for Verily, among the speakers at next week's Transform Spring Conference, taking place Tuesday, April 4th at the Edison Ballroom in NYC. For my segment, I'll speak with her about some of the themes from her upcoming keynote, specifically learnings from Project Baseline about recruiting for medical studies, boosting representation in trials overall, and what steps pharma companies can take to design a more connected patient experience through UX. And Lesh is here with a health policy update. Hey, Mark. Today, I'll give a rundown of a few different health policy moves this week. First, the FDA has approved the first over-the-counter Narcan to treat opioid overdose. And the FDA has also proposed new guidelines to strengthen its accelerated approval pathway for cancer drugs. Jack, I hear this week's social media segment isn't about content going viral on platforms, but rather the plague of sensitive patient health data being leaked to the platforms. Well, to one social media platform in particular, right? That's right. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing how a Facebook data pixel has several notable healthcare organizations facing class action lawsuits from patients. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing and media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. So I'm joined by Alex Hart, Chief Marketing Officer at Verily. Originally known as Google Life Sciences, Verily is one of the largest businesses other than Google under the Alphabet umbrella. As CMO, Alex is responsible for all of Verily's brand, digital, and product marketing efforts and overall marketing operations. Uh, She was appointed to the role last August after joining the previous year as head of content and digital strategy, a role in which she oversaw the digital marketing scale-up that powers Verily's recruitment and enrollment services for clinical studies, which to a large extent is what Alex is going to be talking about during her closing keynote at MMM Transform, our spring conference, coming up on Tuesday, April 4th. We're very fortunate to be joined by Alex, who's going to give a sneak peek at some of the themes she's likely to touch on during her keynote. Alex, how are you? And welcome to the MMM Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well today. Awesome. So um, let's just talk about uh, Project Baseline, for first of all. Verily kicked off that study uh, in 2017, I believe. What did you learn about recruiting for medical studies through that experience? Well, thanks so much for starting there. Project Baseline and the the Baseline Health Study was really uh, one of the starting points for for Verily um, in really understanding over time uh, patient health. And so it was a, you know, a study of 2,500 participants over the course of five years. Um, And really, I think for, for Verily gave us an opportunity to really understand how to engage 
uh, potential participants in a long journey like that as we understood uh, more about their health. And so thinking about consent, thinking about how to produce results and share that back to the community uh, to celebrate what we were learning uh, with that community. And, and we learned a lot through it. Um, and also, um, I, I think one of the really interesting things about that study was that we were invested in understanding the broad populations of the U.S. And so having a very representative view of U.S. health um, was core to the baseline health study and really thinking about how you you bring across uh, diverse representation in that uh, in that study was one of the things we were we were so proud of uh, through that effort. Sure. And, and also had a personalized health as, as you're kind of tracking parameters of, of the various participants over time. And, and to put those learnings into action, about four years ago, Verily began working with several pharma companies to try and apply newer recruitment and engagement methods to speed drug development. This year, I know you renewed the partnership with one of those firms, Atsuka. Where has Verily seen the most success in these partnerships? And where are the challenges? It's been a, a real growth uh, for us in kind of building out the solutions that that help to engage and enroll participants into clinical studies. And over the over the last couple of years, we've really refined our approach. I'll be talking about that in the the next couple of weeks at the Transform event. And it's uh, I think one of the the big pieces, and we could talk about the OATS partnership in in uh, specifics, but we're really learning how to. Uh, design a journey uh, for potential participants that that leads to um, active engagement and, and ultimately bringing the right people into uh, each clinical study. And so we're thinking really in a connected view um, on how do we help potential prospective participants understand uh, the information regarding a trial, really understand what exists. And, and make the decisions that might be right for them um, to get all the way through to entering into a study. And I, I think, as you know, or uh, many of the listeners know, uh, recruitment into clinical trials is really hard. Um, and, you know, many studies fail because of their inability to recruit um, enough of a sample and, and even a representative sample that is reflective of, of the treatments that they, they want to bring to market. And uh, this is a problem that is just industry-wide. It's been persistent for many, many years and decades. And so uh, we think our, our connected journey approach and the way that we look at data and really analyze that, that journey and identify where, uh, where people get confused, where they drop off, uh, where maybe we've just taken too long in the steps um, is core to how, how we can actually bring the right people through um, in understanding the information they need to make the decision that's right for them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, with Atsuka, um, obviously to double click on that for a second, they're tapping into Verily's uh, talents to uh, help recruit for their MDD study. Um, I think the uh, major depressive disorder and, um, you know, in, in that, uh, that's, that's just hard as I guess as any other um, therapeutic area to, to recruit into. Uh, but one of the, one of the things that I think you're going to talk about on the fourth is designing a more connected patient experience through the UX, you know, I, I think that's maybe a little bit of a novel idea in when, when we talk about clinical trials is, you know, we're, you know, historically, obviously, as you, as you said, um, those who have been responsible for recruiting for clinical trials have not really thought about the user experience so much and, and incorporating design thinking into getting informed consent and all of that. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we we think a lot about the design approach before the launch of a of a study, and so UX design plays a core part of that. And user uh, user research, really understanding. Um, really understanding the elements of kind of what might be the reasons why they might join this particular study, um, what some of the information would be that they would need to inform their decision about whether to, um, you know, to take that step to to be screened um, and see if they qualify. And so we'll design some of that research up front so that we have the best understanding of the the person um, that we want to um, make sure that they're they're aware and informed about this study. And then we have an approach after uh, we've launched that I, I, I think is really core to our method. Uh, we launch a lot of different types of communications. Uh, we launch a number of ads, as an example. Uh, we produce a lot of content so that we can actually test and measure, are we bringing people through, through those steps? And we conduct research along the way as well directly. Uh, with prospective participants to see if we have effectively communicated. And in those optimizations, uh, that's where a lot of the magic happens. Some of these studies, uh, you know, particularly you mentioned Otsuka, um, are, you know, are long-term studies. It takes a while to bring uh, bring enough participants into, into the study itself. And so we have the time to be optimizing and really focus in on the messages that matter. And I'll, I'll say like that we've, we've had some really great learnings and I'll share some of them uh, at the event, but uh, some really exciting things where even just certain information that needs to be at the top of, of the page uh, or the amount of time that it takes before they're getting that next phone call uh, to follow up on a screener. Um, those steps really matter um, and can make huge impact to the participant, the potential participant taking that next step. Sure. And then, you know, you talked about representation. Obviously, underrepresentation has been an issue that's plagued um, the clinical trials field. Uh, we've seen that with uh, lately with the Alzheimer's trials, which are really mm-hmm. re- underrepresented, underrepresented when it comes to people of color. Uh, women have been historically underrepresented in, in trials. Um, I know several years ago, um, you know, Verily partnered with the American Heart Association to to help uh, up representation in, in baseline. You know, just from 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 women, um, uh, you know, tapping into into their um, uh, relationships. Um, uh, over the years, uh, I think one lone example where there was a better representation when it came to uh, multi ethnicity was in the co- some of the COVID trials. You know, they, they did a decent job there, so it showed that it was possible you know, to to do a better job there. Um, patient registries also have historically struggled to recruit. Can you talk about some of the techniques that Verily has, has used to up representation in clinical trials? Yeah, the the. The issues persist, and I think I think that um, you know, as I said before, diversity by design up front is really core to our approach and our method, and and really understanding some of the um, some of the ways that we can um, be clearer in our information, uh, really design approach. So, as an example, if we're thinking about even even down to the the naming of a study, down to um, you know how we might present the information on. You know, on a landing page, when you think about um, the ways that we can employ digital marketing um, as well, we're trying to listen for the keywords that they might search when they're seeking out um, information about a particular therapeutic area. Um, These are things that inform um, how we uh, structure the information that that we want to share with um, all groups that we think are need to be part of that part of that study. So design up front is a really core part of our, our method. 
Um, and then making sure that we we really kind of test test those theories throughout uh, our implementation of the enrollment journey and understand kind of where where abandonment is happening or where confusion is happening. We use a number of digital technology tools um, that help us understand, you know, where people are spending their time on the page. Um, do they scroll down and actually read the FAQs? You know, what questions are they asking uh, when uh, they're interacting with one of our call center support uh, team? Uh, so we really Really think about how to connect the dots on the journey so that we can actually have the insights to continue to refine how we're showing up um, so that we can kind of bring that representative sample into the study. Sure, sure. Um, I'd just like to switch gears for a second and talk about trust a little bit. Uh, you know, you talked about ads earlier as, as a recruitment tool. Um, a 2018 survey from Rock Health found that when it comes to whom the average American would rather share their health data with, Tech companies lag behind pharma companies, health insurers, and the government. Has trust been a challenge in your recruitment efforts? I think trust is is a challenge in all aspects of, of healthcare. And and when we think about the um, the topic just now around representation in clinical studies, and we we know that you know historically people of color have not been representative um, in studies as um, you know at the level of uh, of the population or even at the epidemiology of the disease, and so um, trust trust is an issue. Um, Always and something we think about a lot. Um, so, to me, uh, you know, we think a lot about data privacy and security and being really rigorous in our um, management and data governance. Uh, we we think a lot as a company about consent um, and how we are creating transparency to every every person on you know how what what data is collected and how it is used. Um, those are, are important aspects, uh, but I think it's something that we have to continue to think about, um, especially when you think about you know things like the baseline health study and uh, the work that we're doing over time to build longitudinal um, longitudinal data, longitudinal part, uh, registries around um, you know to to build that, that engagement uh, with participants over a long period of time. Uh, so really, kind of seeing the value too when we talked about earlier with Project Baseline and returning results, really showing how um, the data that they contributed made an impact um, is another great example of how you build trust over time because they see the way that their um, their data has been used and that has either helped themselves or it's also helped you know the, the community at large. Sure, absolutely. You know, you mentioned epidemiology there. A uh, recent health conference I went to, you know, was ta- talking about clinical trials uh, and and the, and the challenges therein. Um, made the someone made the point that prevalence, you know, should equal participation. So they're really trying. Mm-hmm. There's really a lot of focus now on trying to make sure that uh, participation in trials um, is is equal to uh, the, the disease prevalence. And so, would imagine Marilee's uh, skills in this area coming at a great time. One last question for you, Alex. We'll let you go. Uh, clinical trial marketing has also been a challenge for for pharma companies. What else can manufacturers do to raise awareness of their medical studies? No, oh, it's a great it's a great question. I think you know it's it's such a, a different. It's a different animal when you think about if you're a if you're a person who is seeking information on your condition 
it is such a fragmented landscape. It's really hard to put information together that uh, to help inform both, you know, between you and your clinician, your care provider, uh, and the way that you navigate and search for information, um, try and, and connect the dots to uh, to maybe a study that might be right for you. Uh, it's really fragmented. Um, we, you know, it's really hard to find that information. And I think manufacturers, you know, and Verily too, and how we try and help sponsors. Um, is find ways to cut through that, um, to find people where they are, uh, but to drive that bigger awareness um, that there's something out there for them that they might want to consider. Uh, I think that's that's also another area you're hitting on that is that is such a challenge to the person, to all of us who are on this long long term journey of their health and uh, and trying to find factual information um, across both their, you know, their caregivers and, and care providers and, um, you know, and the digital world at large. So manufacturers have, I think, a, a, a real focus to, uh, to, to try and drive more awareness. Um, and, uh, you know, we certainly try and do what we can um, to, to drive people to the right information and help learn what, uh, what the right information is to help them inform and make the choices right for them. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks so much, Alex. That was great. And I know our audience will really enjoy hearing more from you at the Transform Conference. Thank you. I look forward to being there and seeing you. Absolutely. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Sure, sure. Of course. Again, uh, that's coming up April 4th at the Edison Ballroom in NYC. Join us for an in-depth look at trends likely to inform the industry's evolution over the next 18 months and hear from a host of A-list speakers. Uh, In addition to Alex, we'll have people from Novartis, Bayer, Alcon Labs, Edwards Life Sciences, and Reddit. And podcast listeners can go to mmmtransform.com and use the code podcast at checkout to save a substantial amount off the price of Transform Conference Pass. Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. The Food and Drug Administration this week approved opioid overdose treatment Narcan to be sold over the counter for the first time. The move is an effort to expand the use of the drug to help fight the opioid epidemic. Narcan is the nasal spray version of naloxone, a drug that can reverse opioid overdose and is five times faster than the average time for a paramedic to get on the scene. FDA Commissioner Robert Califf said in a statement that the approval will help improve access to naloxone, increase the number of locations where it's available, and help reduce opioid overdose deaths throughout the country. Emergent Biosolutions, which manufactures the drug, says over-the-counter sales should begin late this summer. Though Emergent hasn't stated what the price of the new product will be, Califf has encouraged the company to, quote, make accessibility to the product a priority by making it available as soon as possible and at an affordable price. In other FDA news, the agency last week made a step toward its goal of reforming its accelerated approval pathway by proposing new guidelines for cancer drugs. The new guidelines encourage cancer drug makers to only conduct randomized controlled trials as part of their confirmatory studies, rather than single-arm trials, which are currently often used in accelerated approval but have limitations. The FDA's controversial approval of Biogen's Alzheimer's drug Aduhelm in 2021 has spurred increased scrutiny over the accelerated approval pathway and has prompted the agency to take a harder look at how it approves experimental medicines. I'm Lesha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. 
Social media, Instagram, Instagram, TikTok, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, social media update. And this is the part of the broadcast when we welcome Jack O'Brien to tell us about the health data leak du jour. That's right, Mark. Two more prominent health systems have joined the ranks of organizations facing lawsuits claiming that they share the personal information of patients with Meta, the parent company of Facebook. Orlando Health faces a class action lawsuit from a patient who is alleging that the health system disclosed their personally identifiable information and protected health information to third parties, including Meta. The lawsuit asserted that the Facebook tracking pixel was embedded on Orlando Health's website and transmitted details about the patient's medical conditions to the social media giant. The suit also alleges that the pixel is customizable and programmable by the website owner, which in this case is Orlando Health. Now, it's worth noting that an Orlando Health spokesperson told Florida Politics that it doesn't comment on pending litigation. Similarly, UofL Health, based in Louisville, Kentucky, faces allegations from the mother of a pediatric psychiatry patient that the provider shared its PHI with Meta. Like its Florida-based counterpart, the lawsuit alleges that UofL Health embedded the pixel on its website and sent data about prescription drug histories and diagnoses to Meta. Like Orlando Health, a spokesperson for UofL Health told the Louisville Courier-Journal that it does not comment on pending litigation, but added that PHI is, quote, not accessible by the Metapixel on their website. Additionally, Meta told the outlet that it filters out its sensitive health information from being, quote, ingested into our ads, ranking, and optimization systems. These two organizations are among several notable hospitals and health systems across the nation that have faced legal action in recent months related to Meta's alleged collection of personal patient data. Others include Advocate Aurora Health, Wake Med, Northwestern Memorial Hospital, UCSF Medical Center, and Dignity Health Medical Foundation. In light of growing concerns around online tracking technologies, the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services issued a bulletin in December to underscore the obligations of HIPAA-covered entities and business associates. Quote, an impermissible disclosure of an individual's PHI not only violates the privacy rule, but also may result in a wide range of additional harms to the individual or others, the bulletin read. Now, Mark, it's interesting. I, in a past life, I used to cover hospitals and health systems. And I remember that, you know, towards my the end of my time at that publication, that was really a concern as it related to data leaks and data breaches, but this is something, you know, entirely altogether different and is resulting in legal action. How it shakes out, we don't really know, but it's something that healthcare organizations, especially providers, have to be really cognizant of. Right. This is, um, gets to another question, you know, is, is this a, you know, the data breaches, I assume you're referring to are of the inadvertent nature, but yes. this, this is more of the, uh, of the voluntary nature on behalf of these health systems, which, which actually, you know, can make money by sending data upstream to these other ad platforms by way of, uh, the infamous Metapixel, uh, which as, as you noted, Jack has, has been in the news before. I just thought it was also worth kind of tracing back to, to where these lawsuits all began. Um, I think it can be traced back to June 2022 uh, when there was an investigation by the markup and stat, which revealed that hospitals were leaking PHI to Facebook. In the wake of those revelations, dozens of suits have been filed against healthcare organizations alleging impermissible data disclosures to Google and Meta uh, from Cedars-Sinai Medical Center to the health systems that you reported on, Jack. And for what it's worth, I just wanted to point out a distinction for listeners, which was brought to my attention by a privacy expert I recently interviewed. You know, the Metapixel 
which, which is, is what kind of powered those investigations uh, by the markup, the June one and another one this past December that found that telehealth companies, you know, which interestingly enough are, are non-HIPAA-covered entities, but that they as well were improperly sharing patient data with Facebook and Google and other ad platforms. And that's the only reason why anyone knows about it is because the pixel, in addition to sharing data, also allows one to track that web traffic. You can't do that when the website sells the data through, say, an API. So the websites of HIPAA-covered entities could be sending data to all kinds of third parties, and we never know unless it's revealed by a whistleblower or results in a third-party breach. The pixel is transparent and easy to see, but the rest of the ways data are being shared are not public. So health systems or digital health companies, in theory, could remove the tracking pixel, but it wouldn't necessarily staunch the flow of data to Facebook, TikTok, or whomever. Also, Meta obviously is so big and brings in data from so many different sources that this is a really hard technical problem for them to solve. Meanwhile, a few digital health companies, which are, again, as I mentioned, non-HIPAA-covered entities, have updated their disclosures to include the Pixel topic. They don't yet meet the Federal Trade Commission's standard uh, for affirmative express consent, which they recently promulgated in a couple of lawsuits, uh, excuse me, a couple of legal settlement, settlements, one uh, with BetterHelp um, and another uh, with GoodRx. But it is a step in the right direction, and it's something that we will continue to uh, keep our eye on. And of course, it's something, too, that always brings to mind anytime you hear about Facebook data and scandal, it brings to mind the likes of Cambridge Analytica. And right. you mentioned TikTok as well, who earlier this week was just in front of Congress, right. you know, dealing with their own issues around data scrutiny. So it's, again, that kind of longer conversation about social media companies and, and data accessibility and our own privacy. But anytime that it's able to bleed into healthcare, it's obviously right up our ballywick. So. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with, you know, whether it's a hospital is, is one thing, uh, but if it's a digital health company, it's another. Um, and these digital health companies also, they sort of exist to share data. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they, they contract with, you know, employer sponsored plans and, and they have to show data to show that they're having a measurable impact on outcomes uh, in order to justify their existence. So that it's not like they can just shut off the flow of data. Their very survival depends on them sharing data. So it gets to this existential question with them and as, as opposed to can they really solve this problem? Um, and as you said, you know, Facebook's data problems go back to the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which is kind of, it's kind of the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, exactly. You know? So uh, it is a, it's a very big, big thorny problem that will... Uh, make a lot of uh, hay with in our reporting to come. Absolutely. If you could have told me five years ago, there would still be another Facebook data scandal that somehow leaked into healthcare. I don't think I would be surprised, but I probably would be disappointed just like anybody else. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Indeed. That's it for this week. The MMM podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Gordon Failer, Lesha Bushak, and Jack O'Brien. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sone. Rate, review, and follow every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every week. And be sure to check out our website, mmm-online.com, for the top news stories in pharma marketing. <laughs>